Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. It was that same yearning for freedom that nearly 250 years ago gave birth to a special place called America. It was a small cluster of colonies caught between a great ocean and a vast wilderness. It was home to an incredible people with a revolutionary idea that they could rule themselves, that they could chart their own destiny, and then together they could light up the entire world. Hello, friends. Welcome to Praying for America. It is good to be back with you. It is uh, Thursday night, the 5th of January. I hope you're having a happy new year so far. And uh, I have been traveling. And uh, as uh, many of you do know, but some of you might not know, uh, my dad passed away shortly after Christmas. And so I've been up to New York to be with my Family, the funeral was a uh, day before yesterday, and just got back here to our studios this afternoon in uh, Florida. So I appreciate all the, the uh, condolences and good wishes and prayers. Uh, we also have had uh, just a lot going on uh, among all of us with uh, the holiday break, and I hope it's been a great celebration for you uh, of the birth of Christ and the welcoming of the new year. But now, as you know, the engines are getting underway for all the events and activities and challenges and duties of 2023. And tonight, I want to talk about some of those duties and challenges. I want to talk about uh, getting this new Congress underway and uh, share with you how I've been thinking about this, uh, the events on uh, Capitol Hill in terms of electing the new speaker. Uh, Also, some uh, comments from President Trump. uh, uh, he always knows how to make news, uh, of course, and make headlines and get discussions started. But there were some things that people were asking me about in regard to some recent comments about abortion and the elections. So we'll talk about that. And in a couple of weeks, some major pro-life events in Washington, D.C. Uh, will be unfolding. I'll be helping to lead a lot of those events. I want to see many of you there. I know I will see many of you there, and and I would eagerly uh, invite uh, all of you who can to join us in Washington, D.C. for the annual uh, March for Life and the events surrounding it. I want to give you a little bit of insight into that. So lots to cover here tonight, and uh, as usual, let me know in the comments uh, section uh, where you're from, and what you're thinking, and what your questions and comments may be. As always, we start with the Word of God. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Starting in verse 24, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. 
I do not fight like a man who is shadow boxing. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Let us pray. Father, you set before us a prize, the prize of life eternal in Christ Jesus, the prize of redemption and salvation. You set before us also on this earthly journey the prize of defending freedom and saving America, putting America first, and making sure that the blessings that you yourself, O God, have bestowed on us through this great nation may be preserved for ourselves and our posterity. Give us the willingness to sacrifice in order to preserve this freedom and extend it to the generations to come. Give us the willingness to sacrifice for the growth of your kingdom. We pray in the name of the only Lord, the only Savior, the only hope of humanity, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. So on our calendars has been circled the date of January the 3rd. Because we know that that's the date that the new Congress gets underway. That was the day before yesterday, and the new Congress still hasn't gotten underway, as we know, because the Speaker hasn't been elected. Now, unless something has happened between when I am taping this now, just a little bit before the broadcasting and uh, the actual broadcast, Unless something changes during that time, which you will have seen, we still don't have a a Speaker of the House. Now, many voices are saying many things about this. Let me share with you my perspective. I sent out a tweet on the very first day of the voting. And we're in the third day now, right? The very first day of the voting on January 3rd, when the ballot did not yield a result. Because uh, Leader McCarthy, whom I know and who, with whom I have interacted in many meetings uh, over the years and, and whom I, for whom I have uh, uh, great respect, um, he didn't get enough votes, has not gotten enough votes now after all these three days of, uh, of the balloting. But right from day one, some, especially on the other side, were jumping on this in the, in, the, in, the, in the lamestream media and in the Democrat Party, jumping on all of this somewhat gleefully on the part of the Democrats and saying, oh, see, there's chaos, there's disarray, there's dysfunction, there's meltdown. They're using all these kinds of words and terms, right? Friends, As frustrating as the delay may be, and I understand what folks on our side are saying, uh, including President Trump, who is saying, let's get the Speaker elected, and they're backing, backing Representative McCarthy, which obviously they have a right to do. But friends, this is not dysfunction, disarray, chaos, and meltdown. This is just representatives in the House of Representatives having different opinions on whom they want to vote for. That by itself doesn't constitute disarray. That by itself is how the process works. 
you have a vote. In order to be elected speaker, now you have to have a majority of the votes. Now, an absolute majority of the House of Representatives, being that there are 435 members, is 218. The Republicans have 222. The Democrats have 212. There's one vacancy. The Democrats, 212, have voted for their Democrat leader that they would would want to see Speaker of the House. But of course, the, the common presumption is it's the party that's in the majority, and the Republicans are slightly in the majority, uh, from whose ranks the Speaker is chosen. So the Republicans need 218 votes for the same person to become Speaker. And they have not gotten that. Uh, Representative McCarthy has not gotten that yet, as you well know. But but that's the process. If you don't get to the level of votes needed, then you have another ballot. And in between, you have whatever discussions are necessary for the members to persuade one another about whom they should vote for. Don't focus in on the impatience of getting this done. Again, strong and good arguments are being made by people that you and I both have very high regard for about, hey, let's get this done. Hey, McCarthy's the best one. Let's get him elected. Strong and, 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 and reasonable arguments are being made by these, by these individuals. But I would simply caution against uh, getting into a fret about this and understand in fact, let me go to the board and let me just trace out here some of the things I think we need to be focusing in here about, about because this is important for our nation and our movement beyond the question of who is the Speaker of the House. Now, you need to have the Speaker of the House in place in order to get anything else done in this new Congress. And there is a lot that needs to be done. Governance has to be uh, 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 undertaken in terms of, for example, uh, border security and and, and uh, 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 the economy and all sorts of other things we all know. In fact, there are some good pro-life measures, too, being put forth that I want to bring to your attention. And we need to get the House of Representatives starting to vote on these things. But the members cannot even be sworn in until there's a Speaker of the House. But one of the questions at issue, and one of the reasons why you've got, oh, approximately 19, 20 members who are not voting for Representative McCarthy. And it shouldn't be just boiled down to personal issues. Yes, I'm sure, I mean, personality and personal issues always enter into politics, but you can't just explain this away based on psychology. Okay, so in other words, let me, let me just, it's not just personal. It's not just psychological. You know, some people will psychologize the whole thing and say, oh, well, these people who are holding out, you know, they just want the spotlight. They just want publicity. They just want, uh, you know, their day in the in the in the sun. Uh, 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 They just don't like McCarthy. And uh, well, okay, There can be some of that going on. But let's not allow that to distract us from what some of the very legitimate underlying concerns may be. And the question is, 
we have representatives, okay, who are voting a certain way because they are also looking at their constituents. And those constituents want change. And part of the change they want is to drain the swamp. Now, some people are asking, don't you agree that people like Representative McCarthy have the same agenda in mind that we want in terms of policies? And we talk a lot about policies on this program. Don't you agree uh, that, don't you see, I should say, that he agrees with the policies? Is there anything about his policy proposals that you that you don't accept? And, you know, it's not a matter of whether we sign on to the checklist of policies. There's more to it than that, as you and I have often discussed in regard to President Trump himself. Why was his administration so historically successful? And why is he making the case that he's the best one for 2024? It's not just what policy positions are being taken. It's how you fight for them. That's what the kind of change that many want to see and that's motivating some of these people who are looking for different people for the speakership, that is, they want a change in the way we fight, fight harder against the Democrats, fight harder for America First policies, fight harder, be stronger. And, and the difference here is, you know, do we go along with the institution? Uh, some of the, I mean, we're all obviously frustrated by, you know, not being able, you know, on January 5th to have a functioning House of Representatives yet. But, but the other side of the coin is, you know, what is this, uh, what is this hurry to just, you know, sort of let the speaker vote? sort of follow this like automatic mechanical pattern. It's like, okay, you know, who, who, whoever the institutional uh, arm of the party has anointed, if that's not too strong a word, oh yeah, we're just going to rubber stamp it and we're just going to go on business as usual. There's a mood in the country, is there not, that we, 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 we have to stop with the automatic, cookie-cutter, mechanical, oh, this is the way it's always been done, let's do it this way again, and this is what the party leadership says, and we're going to go along with it. I'm not expressing here personally any preference for or against a Speaker of the House. I'm just saying that there is, not only in the Speaker vote, but in all kinds of votes. So we, we've talked here about party-line voting, again, in regard to the issue I deal with, the abortion issue, you know, I've shown you how you can look at the last several Congresses and all the abortion-related votes, you know, with a, with a handful or a less than a handful of exceptions. You've got the Republicans voting for the pro-life position, the Democrats voting for the pro-abortion position. And you think, especially in terms of the Democrats, when, the, when, the, when, when, when what is at issue here is the dismemberment of little babies, I, 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 I can't help but think to myself, can it possibly be that all these people in their own heart and mind and conscience, don't see anything wrong with the dismemberment of babies? I, I, I don't believe that. I believe a lot of them see something very wrong with it. 
but they're, they're but they're behaving instead of behaving like human beings with a conscience and free will and the courage to vote according to your conscience and free will they're behaving as if they were voting machines they're behaving as if they're just some kind of automatic lever you know and they're just voting the party line and, and it's analogous to, to to this kind of thing if a representative has a truly heartfelt vision that, you know, maybe, and it's not just about fighting harder. The kind of change also that they're looking for is, and this may sound strange, but more, um, let me use the word democratic, but I'll explain that. I'm not talking about the party. More democratic voting. In other words, give more power to the individual members of Congress in all their variety, including the very, very conservative members. Give more power to the individual members of Congress in casting their votes, in doing the work of the committees, and less power to the leadership. See, that's one of the things at issue here is we've got some very strong conservative members of Congress. We've got the Freedom Caucus. We've got people who have come up from the MAGA movement. Again, it's the constituents. It's the American people. It's the voters that are looking for change. They're looking for people who are not just going to take the right positions, but they're going to fight hard for those positions. For example, one of the issues that has come up here is, does the Speaker of the House have the ultimate authority to approve or veto any subpoenas that are going to be issued by congressional committees? Hey, listen, we can't wait for subpoenas to be issued. I want to know what ha what's going on at the border. I want to know who made the decisions with, for the Afghanistan debacle that we saw last year. I want to know what's going on with, with these, these kinds of, of, of decisions. I want to know what's going on in the, the Biden administration. We've got to subpoena some people to come before committees. Now, that doesn't take the place of governing, and I don't think it's fair. For people to say, oh, well, the Republicans, they just want to launch these investigations instead of governing. No, it's not either or. We've pointed out on this program before that a key precisely to governing adequately is to hold some of these investigations so that we hold our government, our own government accountable, the agencies of the federal government, including, by the way, the FBI, accountable for the things that they're doing. So that's an important question. When I say more democratic voting, how much power is the speaker going to have to decide who chairs certain committees, who sits on certain committees? A lot of the work of the Congress gets done in committees. How about having some of the more conservative members head up some of these committees? In other words, let's get away from this institutional, mechanical, we've always done it this way, we're going to keep doing it that way, politically correct way of thinking and say, hey, wait a minute, a little bit of independence helps here. And when you have the democratic process, again, small d, the democratic process, whereby everyone has a vote, every one of those members of Congress was elected. When you have a process where everyone has a vote, everyone has a voice, you know what? If it works properly, it's going to get messy. It's not cookie cutter. 
It's not everybody danced to the same tune, marched to the same drumbeat. It's not that. These people were sent to Congress. They answer to their constituents. They have a conscience. And it's like everybody just chill out a little bit. This is not chaos. It's not disarray. It's not meltdown. It's not dysfunction. Sure, the radical left, the Democrats want the public to think that because they always want the Republicans to look bad. But maybe a little bit of messiness is how a representative form of government is supposed to work. Just something to think about. Okay, let's pray that things get get resolved relatively quickly. But let's also pray that, uh, you know, we're not forcing anybody to act against their conscience uh, when they are doing their work there on Capitol Hill. Now, speaking of the work on Capitol Hill and looking beyond the point at which we will have a speaker and we will have the members sworn in and they will get down to the business of governing, I just want to point out to you three uh, pro-life bills uh, that are two, well, it's one resolution and two bills. The resolution, remember the pregnancy centers were attacked after the Dobbs decision came down, reversing Roe v. Wade. We talked about it here. We even had one of our guests was uh, uh, ran some pregnancy centers that were attacked. A resolution condemning the attacks on the pregnancy centers, condemning violence against pro-life groups. You know, the Biden administration has completely failed when it comes to this. There should have been much, much more vociferous and immediate condemnation of this violence from the Democrat side of the aisle but there wasn't, and there hasn't been to this day. Why didn't they pass a resolution like this? Uh, so a resolution for that. And then two pieces of legislation, no taxpayer funding for abortion. We'll go into these in more detail, especially when we get to the point that they're going to be voted on. But these are likely to be voted on in the next couple of weeks. No taxpayer funding for abortion. Now, a lot of our tax money is already protected from uh, going to abortion, protected by federal law. However, Congress has to vote every year on many different appropriations bills, many different riders, as they are called. And they have to vote in many separate votes to put in what we call the pro-life protections so that your money and mine doesn't go to killing babies. And uh, this bill would make would simplify it. They just have to take one vote, enact one law that says all across the board, no matter what the funding stream is that you're talking about, there will be no funding of abortion. And the other one is born alive protections. Um, I've talked to you about this too, that uh, there are not adequate protections in the law right now for babies who survive an abortion, because some do. As crazy as that sounds, some do, especially these late-term abortions. Shouldn't they be protected once they come out of the womb? I mean, obviously they should be protected while they're in the womb, but right now they're not even adequately protected when they come out. And so the Republicans want to pass a measure doing that. Let me go back. Oh, well, let me stand here No, for another minute here. Um, these things, as I said, may be voted on. Hopefully, I think will be voted on um, pretty confident within the next couple of weeks. Because coming up very soon, we have in Washington, D.C. and in San Francisco... Some important pro-life events that I want you to be aware of that are 
held each year because January 22nd is the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, and this year will be the 50th anniversary of the terrible Roe v. Wade 1973 decision that legalized abortion, a decision now that has been overturned by the Supreme Court. But nevertheless, we still have the March for Life in Washington. This year it will be on January 20th. That's a Friday. Then on January 22nd, we will have a memorial service at the Supreme Court commemorating and honoring the lives that have been lost. 65 and a half million of them since Roe v. Wade came into being. I'd like to invite you to come. On the morning of the March for Life, I'm going to be leading an interdenominational prayer service. I've been doing it for, for decades. It'll be in Constitution Hall. And speaking of the pregnancy centers, we're going to honor the pioneers of the pregnancy center movement. Let me give you a website. National Prayer Service. Dot com. Come join us. You won't regret it. It'll be a marvelous, marvelous event. And there will be other events, too. You'll be able to see on our website the uh, listing of the times, the places. San Francisco, this will be in the intervening day, Saturday, January 21st. And guess what? I'm going to be at that one, too. So I'm going to do the march on the 20th, head to the West Coast, do the, do the walk for life on the 21st, and then back, back to Washington that night and do the Supreme Court thing on the 22nd. Um, and this is something that, again, you'll find it. We have a link here to the other full schedule of events. Come join us. Come join us. Let me sit down here again. Um, and uh, we'll be, we'll be uh, I want to show you a clip of Silent No More, because part of the event that we have in Washington and also on the West Coast involves people that have had abortions. And they speak out about their experience, giving testimony to the forgiveness of God that happens when we repent of our sins. If you watch our program regularly, you've seen this little clip already, but let me show it to you in the context of the fact that now these events are coming up in just a couple of weeks, and you'll see again these brave men and women marching and sharing their stories. Let's watch. Powerful new voices are arising in the debate over abortion. The voices of those who have actually experienced it. From coast to coast, women and men who have lost children to abortion are speaking out about its pain and devastation and about the healing and forgiveness they have found through the pro-life movement. Their witness is changing hearts and minds. Former U.S. Senator Zell Miller writes, The most poignant sight for me at this year's annual pro-life march and demonstration in Washington, D.C. was the large number of women holding signs saying they regretted their abortions. Celebrity Kourtney Kardashian says, I looked online and I was sitting on the bed hysterically crying, reading these stories of people who felt so guilty from having an abortion. I was reading these things of how many people are traumatized by it afterwards. You see the website there, friends. Go there and read those beautiful testimonies. Or better yet, listen to them in person, because after the march finishes, uh, we will have them giving public testimony right there at the conclusion. So uh, 
silentnomore.com. Well, we've run out of time. I'll talk more in the next uh, next program uh, tomorrow about uh, some of the things President Trump recently said. But meanwhile, friends, let's stay connected. You know how to reach me on uh, social media. Fr Frank Pavone uh, is my social media address. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, bless your people. Bless all the prayer intentions and the needs uh, that they have. Enable them to serve you with joy and with strength. And bless our nation, Lord. Help us to save America. Give us a Congress that will accomplish great things in governing and in investigating those things that need to be uncovered for the good of our nation moving forward. We pray now in the words Jesus gave us, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for joining us, friends. And remember, we're part of the greatest human rights movement and the greatest political movement in American history. This country doesn't belong to those who are trying to destroy it. It belongs to us. God bless you, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.